everyone, our Advent message this week is to bring peace, and our scripture reading is Luke 1, 46-55. Mary said, My soul gives glory to the Lord. My spirit delights in God my Savior. He has taken note of me, even though I am not considered important. From now on, all of those people will call me blessed. The Mighty One has done great things for me. His name is Holy. He has shown his mercy to those who have respect for him. From parent to child down through the years. He has done mighty things with his powerful arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their deepest thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the people who are not considered important. He has filled with good things those who are hungry. He has sent away empty those who are rich. He has helped the people of Israel who serve him. He has always been remembered to be kind. To Abraham and his children down through the years, he has done it just as he promised to our people long ago. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Heavenly God, amidst the noise of our world, the noise of our hearts and our minds, we seek the calming, peace-bringing word of God. We seek to hear your voice, the voice that brings grace and renewal and freedom amidst the bondage and decay of sin. And as we come being more of a mess than we care to admit today, we ask that this voice would bring so much grace that we would know and be convinced that the story of scripture, as it tells us that we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever imagined, that we would be able to hear that voice that it would be something that actually resonates and, and that we find believable in our lives today. So we pray to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and ask you to be, to be making yourself known now as we look at this passage from Luke chapter 1. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In this passage, Mary... Um, has just, what we're listening to, what Elian just read, are the words of Mary when she's visiting with Elizabeth. She, um, she speaks these words and they become what in our world today has become something of a song that is well known as the Magnificat. And um, it's happening right in the midst of this visit between Elizabeth and Mary. Um, they've both received the results of their pregnancy tests, and, uh, and they're positive. Um, of course, this is the, a very unique kind of pregnancy test where a messenger from God comes and tells you, announces to you, as you tremble in your boots, that you are pregnant. And so they're meeting, they're talking about this, and it's hardly sinking in what all of this means, but they're marveling over this when Mary launches into poetry. And this is the kind of poetry that is equivalent to an ancient Near Eastern song. They, um, what Mary says here, and that we call the Magnificat, and that is gets sung today, really was a type of sung prayer. It sounds very much, much like something you would read in the Book of Psalms, the ancient Hebrew prayer book similar to the, the song sung by Hannah in uh, the book of Samuel. And um, 
It reminds me, the way she just starts singing, essentially, in the middle of this visit, reminds me of um, what I think might be a common experience. I don't know if you've ever had that, this where, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful weekend night, and you pull up on Prime Video, it's time for a movie, right? And you maybe you have some loved ones with you, maybe you're getting some quality alone time. And, but either way, you pull this movie up, you haven't had a lot of time to research, but so what, it's got to be good, and you pull it up, and it's just getting into that first scene. And you're just relaxing and it's going well when all of a sudden you kind of look up you're like what was, was that music that started in the background there so, uh, hints of an orchestra what and then it happens one of the characters begins to sing one of their lines right oh musical okay Right, and then and and some of you go yay, and others of you go no way. Um, I mean, it's just one of those moments where you got to decide: Am I in the mood for a musical? Am I ready to get caught up in song? <laughs> That's what it feels like. Mary is doing in the middle of this scene where she's visiting Elizabeth. Of course, um, twenty twenty has been a year where if you could measure it somehow, I'm sure you'd get a, a number, a figure around 70 or 80 percent, a 70 or 80 percent decrease in the amount uh, or the desire that people have to spontaneously sing. <laughs> right? 2020. In fact, quite frankly, a lot of things, a lot of events and traditions and times and places where people would get together and sing have been made illegal. You know, it's been clamped down, the songs shut off and muzzled before they even begin, much like you maybe would want to do when that prime video starts on your Saturday night live. Saturday night, you want to muzzle the singing and, and watch a movie. Well, it has been a year like that where um, the desirability of singing and to break out in song has been decreased. Mary, Mary lived in a 2020 kind of life, a 2020 kind of world. In our world today, we might spot an injustice and we might call out for black lives to matter. And Mary could have been at any number of similar protests uh, holding up her cardboard, or I should say parchment, um, that says, you know, Jewish lives matter or women's lives matter, or any of the number of other things. Because Mary, just in terms of historically where she stood, Mary was always on the losing end of the justice stick. So it's all the more amazing that she sings this song, that she breaks out into this song, where she's saying that she believes that God is, through her pregnancy, through Jesus coming, God is balancing the scales of justice. That's what she's singing about. Take verse 53 as just a great example of how she puts this into words. He has filled the hungry with, with, uh, lost my place here. She has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. 
just filled the hungry with good things, sent the rich away empty. Mary is aware she's living with a reality, a very real reality of the imbalance of our world between the rich and the hungry. This year has exasperated, exacerbated, I don't know the word, but basically it's gotten worse, okay? It's got, the whole justice thing has gotten worse. And, and if, you, if you need evidence, today, this, this week, it was being talked about a lot. It came out that our nations, you know, as homelessness increases, unemployment increases, as we are in desperate need of a stimulus check, as hunger increases, at the same time, so you know what else has increased? The 651 billionaires in the United States, their wealth increased from the beginning of the pandemic till now by basically a quarter, which means $1 trillion. Altogether, they started a little bit under $3 trillion, and now, since March 18 till now, their wealth increased to over $4 trillion. And it, it's basically like, you know, these, these billionaires could get together and they could they could just basically pay for the stimulus, stim, stimulus package that's being debated today by our legislators. They could just say, you know, why don't we cover it? And they would still be, they will, will just have used up what the extra that they got this year, and they'd still have all their wealth from before untouched. This is our world. And Mary is at the bottom of the bottom of that world. The mighty and the powerful year after year will keep rolling over the week, the hungry, the poor, the Marys of this world. And amidst that, Mary has the audacity to have Advent hope because of the arrival of a child, the promised arrival of her child. Because of that arrival of that child, she can sing that he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. Mary has Advent confidence, is what I'd like to call it. She has no doubt that because of this child, mighty deeds of God are accomplishing the deliverance of those in great need. She believes that through this child, the mighty deeds of God are taking place to bring about deliverance. I think Mary is someone who can uniquely function as our personal trainer for Advent orientation. You know, it's time to clock in for orientation of Advent and Mary will lead you. She will guide you. She is our model. Whenever we enter into the season of Advent, which is, um, this is our, our third, or is it our fourth? Anyway, it's our final Advent service. I don't know if it's our third or our fourth. Um, I should know that. But anyway, we're at the end of it, and we've been talking about it, and every year, what do we do? We talk about how we're often reading these Isaiah passages. Well, those are in the Old Testament before Jesus' first coming. And we say, hey, we're paralleling, we're entering into how Israel awaited Christ's first coming as we await the second coming of Jesus. Well, guess what? Mary is the only person, as far as I'm aware, the only person in scripture who did both. 
Advent is about remembering, waiting for Jesus' first coming, and then waiting for his second coming. Mary is the only person in the Bible that I know of who is actively doing both. She lived in both times of waiting for Jesus. She lived beyond his death and resurrection and had to begin to wait for his second coming. And in our passage today, she's getting ready for his first coming. And she had So she's somebody who, in both eras, perfected an Advent kind of faith. I don't know if you ever wondered, if, you, if you're familiar enough with the Bible and the New Testament, to wonder about how did Luke get so much of this material about Mary and Elizabeth? Why does Luke talk so much about this in the Mark, Matthew, John? They don't, they don't have these stories. That's why we're always going to Luke around Christmas time. He's got the goods. He's got the, he's got the intel on what was going on with all of this. He gives us more to work with. Well, you know, it's, it's probably quite simple, actually, is that Luke, in, in one of the first verses of his um, of telling about why he wrote the gospel and how he did it, he, he explains how there's a lot of people have undertaken already to write accounts of Jesus. And he says, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I decided to write an orderly account. And what, what, what most likely is going on here is that Luke went to the original sources. Not only did he say, okay, here's the parchments that I have at my disposal of other people's tellings already. I'm also going to go and talk to the people. And so it, it's extremely plausible to look at these early chapters of Luke and to, and to basically say, this is all coming to us through Mary herself. That Luke is sitting down with her, and she's saying, let me tell you. And she's doing this as someone who now, where does she, well, what does that mean? When was this written? Well, after the events of Jesus' life and death, resurrection and ascension are already over. So Mary has gone through all of that. The valley of the shadow of death and the victory of, the, of Jesus rising from the dead and then the the strange pain and yet victory of his ascension and she sits there now awaiting his second coming and she begins to tell luke let me tell you how it all went down and she gets to this part she says get ready because here's the song i sung when i was with elizabeth and she's telling us this as someone who is part of this new testament church now awaiting the second coming of jesus and yet she tells these stories of great hope convinced that although the world looks incredibly unfair and uneven, and often it looks like there's an iron grip of injustice, she tells the story with song, convinced that the scales are getting balanced with Jesus as we look for his second coming. Um, probably one of the best Advent chapters in any work of fiction ever written is the chapter called the Scouring of the Shire. I wonder how many of you know, right? I see some heads nodding. Know what, what book is this coming from, Nathan? Unmute yourself and tell us. What book is it coming from? That's, uh, that's the Lord of the Rings. I believe it's the uh, Return to the King. There you go. All right. <laughs> that's right. I know because Nathan is probably one of the few people in the world that owns a, a grill, an outdoor uh, fire pit with elven language inscribed on it from the Lord of the Rings, okay? So that's, that's Nathan. I knew he would have the answer. And in this chapter, it's a stunning chapter because the victory has won, spoiler alert, the ring 
you know, the evil ring of power gets destroyed in Mount Doom. And it's, this is all done by these lowly hobbits who accomplish this. And they see the final victory and they know that the true king is now on the throne and evil is done away with, vanished into thin air, the evil one. So they return to their homeland, the Shire, where all the hobbits live. And yet this, this, there's still these evil characters who have a foothold in the Shire and are still trying to do their best to burn down trees and put all the hobbits into servitude and to make sure evil flourishes and injustice flourishes. And so here come the hobbits from their adventures um, with their battle garments on and they're riding in on ponies and everyone's looking at them like they're crazy and like, don't you guys know? You're gonna be in so much trouble from the guys in charge. And they just come in waltzing in and they say, no, no, we're not. We're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna get rid of those guys. And they come in and everyone's looking at them. They can't believe. And these hobbits are just riding in on ponies and they're laughing and they're singing. And that's a picture of Advent. Friends, things look grim. And believe me, it's not going to stop. There's going to be a lot of grim realities in the future to get yourselves ready for. There just is. That's how the world works. But like the scouring of the Shire, we have a final ultimate victory. Evil has been completely neutered, completely unable to rule. There's the final victory has been sealed and anything left of these grim realities are just minor skirmishes that those of us who have seen the victory of the grave or the victory of the cross and the empty tomb through Jesus say, Let's go. Let's move forward with the kingdom of Jesus. Let's move forward as those who joyfully sing, confidently ushering in God's victory in each place. We lean into that as we look forward to the news of Thursday and Friday, the arrival of Jesus. Will you pray with me? Heavenly God, as we get faced each day with news in a troubled world. Help us to live close to the realities of Jesus, the reality of the empty tomb, the reality of one who has been seated at the right hand of the Father and will come again to judge the living and the dead. May we hold those words true. Impress upon us that victory that we wouldn't get overwhelmed but that would become salt and light and that we would fight for the balancing of the scales under the name of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.